Okay, so we are back in our series on Mark today, and I apologise if this sounds funny, I'm at home, we didn't quite catch the recording on Sunday, um, so I'm trying to do this um, without an audience here. It feels very strange, I'm just sat talking to myself essentially, um, but hopefully we'll get the main message across this way um, and keep the continuity of the series and it will bless you. Um, So where are we up to? Uh, Well today we're going to be looking at chapter 4 and so far what we've seen is... Um, what it's been like in Mark when Jesus came down to earth. And we've seen that loads of new incredible things start happening when he's about. Um, Demons started fleeing, the sick were healed, he began proclaiming the kingdom come. Um, And it was like just a full-on invasion of God had had just hit. And um, Satan's sickness and evil were just being driven back. And Mark told us that Jesus could do all of this because he was the expected Messiah King, the one promised right the way down through hundreds of years of scripture, who would come down to earth and start, begin God's eternal kingdom. A kingdom that would just go on and on and on, growing into eternity, never stopping. And as we've looked at this book, we've seen some really key themes come out so far. Well, like one that Jesus drew massive crowds because he was so authentic in what he brought that um, the people were just so expectant of what he might do. So they brought his, they're all their sick to him. They came to hear him speak from far and wide. But we've also seen that the kingdom he brought and began teaching about was not the military one that people had expected the Messiah King to bring. It was different than military violent revolt. It was words. It was transformation. It was power, genuine authority. It was the purification of lepers. And it was freedom from bondage, both spiritual and the wrong teaching that had been around from the Pharisees and Sadducees at the time. And because of this unexpected element to his kingdom, we've seen that as he begins to teach, as he begins his ministry, there's quite a lot of confusion around who he is. Is this really the Messiah? Is he really bringing this eternal kingdom in? It looks a bit different to what we were expecting. And Jesus, interestingly, tells a lot of people um, who he heals not to go on to spread the news about him. And we've talked a little bit about why this was, actually, that Jesus didn't want them taking the partial bit that they knew and spreading a partial message about him, a confused message about him. He wanted there to be really solid foundations before people went on to spread this message. So he said, be quiet. They rarely did because they were so excited about uh, who he was and what he brought. And chapter four comes into build on some of these key themes. Here it essentially begins to answer the question about this kingdom that Jesus was bringing in and was king of, if it's not military, if you're not going to establish this new new kingdom through leading the Jews in violent revolt, how is your kingdom, which is clearly amazing new life-giving, going to grow in the world? How is it going to take over fully? Because we're just in Galilee right now. We're just in a small part of the world. How's it going to keep growing from this place? And Mark here shows how Jesus answered this question using four picture story teachings, these parables, pictures that start to explain some deep truths about his kingdom. And essentially here, what we see in four parables are four real essentials that Jesus wants us to understand about the way 
his kingdom will grow. They're four things that we must um, allow to take root in our lives, four understandings that we must have and keep coming back to if we want to be a part of this great kingdom growth the way that Jesus intended it on into eternity. So it's a a big passage for us, uh, a really key one that we've got to take hold of. For Mark and Jesus, these four parables are things we constantly have to come back to, to remind ourselves of, to make sure we have sown into our understanding. There are ways his kingdom works and grows then, at the time he was speaking, and now. Just before we get into what these are, what I want you to do, though, as we look through this passage, if you can open up your Bibles at chapter four, it will help is take notice of a couple of things. As he passes on these kingdom growth essentials, uh, you again see Mark's core themes come out. Uh, He reinforces that Jesus' kingdom is not an earthly strength and violence-based kingdom, but something fundamentally different. And he wants us to bring this same sort of kingdom. And we see the theme of confusion, even where he's talking about some real essentials in his kingdoms, his followers are really struggling to understand what he means and who he is. As Jesus tries to bring them a totally new way of seeing and thinking about the world and God's kingdom come. And so again, we see in this confusion, the theme of Jesus protecting the foundations of his teaching as he starts to lay them from misunderstanding. As we read through this, you'll see verses like verses 11 and 12 and 33 and 34, which explain that he used parable, this type of picture teaching, both to reveal truth to his followers and to conceal and protect it from others. Why? He didn't want people running off and teaching a confused partial gospel. Even those closest to him were struggling to understand. He didn't want those who were further away spreading something that was confused and not true about him. You know, we see some of the problems of people doing this in the world today. You know, there's so much depending on it. Jesus really wanted to people to fully get who he was, what he was about and what authority he was coming. So what are these essentials? What here do we really need to grasp about the way this new kingdom grows and advances? What does he want us to always uh, have in our store cupboard, in our understanding? Let's have a look at these four pictures individual. Picture one. What you're going to see at the start of Mark is a farmer sowing seed. And we read about this in the first part of Mark. Let me just read the scripture to you. And again, he began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat down at the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell amongst the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. 
so that they may indeed see but not perceived and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown amongst the thorns. Those who, these are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. So here we have the first picture of a sower sowing, sowing seed uh, and seeing where it lands in different place. And this reinforces something straight away for us that we've got to take note of that his kingdom is not a military one but is spread through preaching and teaching about him just like Jesus was modeling his kingdom is a kingdom of the word speak about it in advances scatter his message and it will go forward don't and it won't stay quiet and it won't go anywhere and the way he tells us this preaching and teaching works is like a farmer scattering seed some will take root and flourish and some won't. It's not like a battle where everyone just succumbs or is forced to follow a new way of living. As it is scattered, some of this seed simply will not be received and some will die quickly when challenging comes and some will be choked out by other cares. And following the disciples questioning the meaning of this, we're given a little more explanation over the reasons for some of it taking root and some of it not. And we're essentially told that wherever it takes root or not, or whether it takes root or not, depends on one thing, the heart of the person receiving it, the heart of the person receiving it. Phil Moore so helpfully points out in Jesus' explanation that there are four hearts that people have towards the message of Jesus as it is scattered like seed, which determines whether it will grow or whether it will die. And the four hearts are this. The first one in verse 15, he says, some will receive it with a hard heart, with a hard heart. The seed won't even penetrate its hard surface. It'll be like seed hitting a, a path or tarmac. It will just bounce away where Satan will immediately come down and swoop up like a flock of pecking birds and take it. And the kingdom will not grow in these people as a result. The second type of heart there is verse 16 and 17, where some people receive it with a superficial heart, a superficial heart, a heart that on the outside is uh, receives the word with amazing joy um, and passion. But where really they're there, that's all there is to it. People with hearts like this won't develop roots that go deep and draw up goodness from the ground. They never learn to anchor themselves in the word of God or communion in communion with God behind closed doors they never learn to walk with and by the spirit they just have a game face before others where under their surface there are hidden rocks there's no nourishment and strength to their faith so when the inevitable trials of life come the word dies in them and the 
kingdom stops growing in them. Verse 18 and 19, we see the next heart, which is a distracted heart, a distracted heart. This type of heart accepts the word as truth initially and invests in it. But then rather than filling up their life first and foremost with a pursuit of God's kingdom, they fill up their lives with other things first, then try and fit God in and his kingdom in at the end, only to find there's no space, there's no time, there's no energy, there's no desire to do so. And these people become nominal Christians, special event Christians, Sunday Christians at best, just about prepared to give an hour and a half of their costly time to the kingdom, but no more because they're too busy with other worries and chasing fame and fortune, money, wealth, acclaim. And again, in these people with this heart, the word can never be fully realised. The kingdom can never fully grow to its potential in their life. And it dies, it's stifled by other things. Fillmore writes so helpfully about this heart. Jesus highlights two particular dangers, that worry and the lie that a little extra money will satisfy us. But the truth is that most of the thorn in our lives that stop kingdom growth are not sins. They are just desires for other things, hobbies, chores and social commitments, which strangle our days and leave us no time to pursue what really matters. Then there's the final heart, the one in four that counts in verse 20, which Fillmore calls a determined heart. A determined heart, but some, he says here, Jesus says here, will hear the word and will not only accept it, but will drive their roots deep into the ground, avoiding the weeds and the thorns of life and putting God's kingdom in first. And these people, these people will grow and bear fruit abundantly. It's really simple language here, but it is deeply challenging if you get hold of it. And the essential that Jesus wants us to know from this picture is that my kingdom is not a military kingdom. It's a matter of people's hearts. And the kingdom taking root and growing depends on the state of people's hearts. Advancing the kingdom is about spreading the word, the message about Jesus. But as we do this, it's never going to be simply that everyone is going to receive that equally. It depends on the soil and the heart in which it's received. Why is this so important? Why is it essential that we have this understanding and hold on to it? Well, two things jump out at me really here from my own experience. Do you know, as a pastor, my head can drop uh, so often as a church leader. Some people are just really level plain sailing. I'm not. I'm a bit more emotionally up and down with this. Do you know, when you do your best to communicate Jesus to people and you're spending your life on that, And sometimes you see it repeatedly unreceived. People you've given time to that you've discipled, blown over when challenge comes. Or you just see people just too distracted to really live in the good of what Jesus brings. It can make me and my head drop, actually. It can make me not want to keep sharing the message of Jesus. It can make me want to to give up and give my time to other things but this verse challenges this it challenges this discouragement deeply it says no Matt no other people who are doing the work of Jesus it says expect these things as you scatter seeds don't get downhearted lift your heads because some 
will get it. Yes, some will reject it. Yes, some will get distracted. Yes, some people will only take it superficially and it will never take full root. But some, some will grasp it and get a determined pursuit of it in their lives. And the kingdom of God will grow and flourish because of this. This is one of the ways it will advance. It's one of the things. It just Getting this truth into your heart tackles discouragement. Secondly, though, and equally as important, this verse causes me to keep examining my own heart. Do I still have a determined heart in me? Am I building that strong root in my life or have I grown distracted and superficial? I can be so much like a um, a magpie in my life. Oh, that's a shiny thing over there. I'm going to go spend some time on that. Oh, oh, that looks good over there. I'm going to go spend some time. I can get distracted so easily, so easily. Because of these things, have I lost my determination in God? Are these things strangling my days with other things than what really matters? Picture one holds me to account. It tells me that the kingdom growth is all about heart and asks me, have I understood this fully? What's the second picture? Picture two, verse 21 to 25. It's a shorter one, but equally important. Uh, A lamp on a stand is the picture he gives as you're following in your Bible. A lamp on a stand. Verse 21. And he said to them, a lamp is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest nor is anything secret except to come to light if anyone has ears to hear let him hear and he said to them pay attention to what you hear with the measure you used it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you for to one who has more will be given and from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away This picture contains two parts. The first part, he talks about the purpose of a lamp being not to shove it under a basket, but to put it on a stand so that the light can do its work of lighting up the world around it and exposing sin and removing darkness. The second likened this to using what God has given us and says simply that growth and addition happens when you use and put on display what he has given you. And shrinkage happens when you don't. The essential he wants us to know from this is kingdom growth happens by using what has been given to you. You have been given a great light in the gospel and gifts are put on display. Use them. It is this that causes the kingdom to grow. Don't use them. And it withers and dies. He says here in this picture, if you don't use it, you will lose it. It's like muscle withering when it's not in action. It gets weaker, weaker and essentially is useless for the job it was created for. Why is it so essential that we grasp the essence of this picture? First, it tells me that if I want the kingdom to grow, then I have to put this great light of the gospel on display that he has given to me i can't put it under a basket so i recently read um, an outside view on western christianity from uh, the i newspaper which essentially chastised it, it challenged british christians for being afraid and apologetic for what they believed in 
and said that we should be more proud of the faith and identity we had. This was a non-Christian author. And it went on to say, look, why aren't you more like the Americans? They seem to get it. They seem to have such a pride and passion in what they believe in, where we're timid and afraid to share it. You know, if this external criticism is right, if this is what people see of us from the outside in, are people who aren't passionate, aren't excited, um, aren't confident in the the place they stand and what they believe in, then at best we're, we are like a lamp under a basket with maybe a few leaky holes on it where we timidly let it shine out here and there. But the rest of the time we hide the gospel and we keep its wonderful truth to ourselves. The first thing it tells us is that we've got to be braver. We've got to put this wonderful light that Jesus has given us on display, that the king has come and so has his kingdom. Secondly, it tells me this. If I want to grow, I have to keep stepping out in the gifts that God has given me. Do you know, as well as a magpie, the, the creature that best describes me has to be a goldfish. It's, it's not flattering, but it's true. Why is this? You know, goldfish grow into the size of the bowl you put them in. If you don't put them in bigger water, they don't grow. And I've just been completely in the same in life. If I don't stretch myself, if I don't put myself out there to use my gifts, then I don't grow. However, if I do, if I do put myself forward, if I do say, yeah, look, I'm going to use this gift in this bigger environment, if I'm going to use my gift in this way, it's always scary. I always feel small and overwhelmed at the beginning of stepping out and using my gifts. But then inevitably I start to grow into it because what I step out in in faith, the Lord provides in and I grow. And I grow. And I think we're the same. That's what this picture is telling us. Do you know, there are loads of reasons not to step out in gifts. It's scary. It takes up time. You know, it, it cuts into my love of just sitting on a sofa and eating crisps. I could say, listen, Lord, I'm not good enough to be used by you. Well, none of us are. But he says, I put my spirit inside you. And I've given you gifts to be used for the growth of my kingdom and the growth of my church. Jesus says here, keep stepping out, keep stepping up, keep filling those gaps, keep serving. It is the way you will grow and my kingdom will grow in you. The lamp picture tells me that God's kingdom grows by using what he has given me, whatever that may be. What's picture three? Well, picture three is this. It's a farmer having a kip, essentially. Verse 26, if you're following. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed spouts and grows. And he knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Here Jesus goes back to his first picture of scattering seed, but with a different focus. It's not on the heart ground this time, but it's on the seed. And here we see, once sown, once spread, a seed grows all by itself. 
The farmer here is just kicking back and having a sleep and waiting for it to become ready for the harvest after his bit of sowing and do is done. It happens without him. Why is this so essential? This is so essential because it's a real balancer to the last couple of pictures, which give us some personal responsibility. Because it tells us that although there is responsibility for those who believe to communicate the word, to make sure their heart is good before God, and to use what God has given them, God is ultimately sovereign over his kingdom growth. We don't have to make growth happen. Our responsibility is just to keep our hearts determined and good before God and put on display the gospel and the gifts he's given us. And I find this the best news, both for the kingdom and me. For the kingdom, it means though, no matter what happens with a lot of what we do, we should always expect a wonderful bursting forth of unexpected, God-given life in unexpected places because God will cause it to grow. And it means that I and you are not ultimately responsible for others' growth. He is. I Just imagine for the second if this picture story was different. If the picture was that after the seed was sown, the farmer didn't get to rest, but had to tend each of the thousands of seed he had sown daily himself, watering it, shading it from the sun, protecting it from the wind, each in turn. And if he didn't, the seeds would all die. If this was the picture, the farmer would be dead by the afternoon and the seeds would all die. I'm so grateful for this as a picture. Thankfully, as a church leader, none of your growth is ultimately dependent on me. And the seeds that you sow in others are not ultimately dependent on you. It's always dependent on God because he's taken on that responsibility himself. And it's in a far safer hands there, hands in which we can rest assured that there will be growth. Yes, I can encourage that growth. Yes, I can support them. But ultimately, it's on God. It's not my burden to carry. I think so many of us can miss this and shoulder it badly and heavily. Wives, you can feel failures if your husbands are a bit duff in the Lord. Pastors, you can feel gutted that people just aren't overcoming those pastoral issues in their life, so that they're still holding on to the bad way of living, that they're not breaking free. All you can do is keep your heart right, keep trusting in God. And there's a promise there that the Holy Spirit will break in and cause the, so the seed to grow. You won't know how it's happened. It will be marvellous. It will be led by God and the kingdom will grow. So now equally for me, the great news is this. Actually, if I keep building my root in the Lord and I keep stepping out, I can assure, be assured that God will cause his kingdom life to grow and overflow in me. The kingdom will take root and flourish. Flourish. Sin will be overcome as I do this. My relationship with God will deepen. The fruit of his life in me will start to overflow. I don't have to make it happen. I have to rest in him and his promise that he has put his spirit within me and that will grow his kingdom. Picture three's essential for kingdom growth is this. 
Growth is not about earthly might or brilliance. Once sown and planted in good soil, God's kingdom will grow because of his Holy Spirit's work and nothing else. And I can rest like a farmer in the picture in this. Picture four, nearly there. Final one and one of my favourites, a growing mustard seed. And he said in verse 30 onwards, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable should we use for it? It's like a grain of a mustard seed. When sown in the ground, it is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can come and make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. This final one has got to be one of my favourite pictures. How beautifully this picture describes what Jesus' ministry did. It started like a mustard seed, the tiniest of all seeds in the northern region of a backwater nation. In a stable with a baby and it grew and it grew and it flourished to influence the whole world. As he died, was buried, then captured came back to life and the spirit came and overflowed to shape whole nations. And Jesus tells us that this is not only what he did, but it's the pattern for how his kingdom grows. It always starts small and fragile. Yet as we plant it in the centre of our gardens, of our lives, of our families, of our communities, it will grow and grow and become the centrepiece, a place of flourishing life and safe haven for others, which will overshadow other things. It will have immense impact like his life has. What is the essential? Don't ever get down about the small things in my kingdom. The small beginnings, the small victories, the small faith, because the small in his kingdom, by his spirit, eventually grows into world changing big. Now, why is this so important for us to grasp? We're so essential because it gives us the right faith to approach God's kingdom. You know, there's still a story going around that the church is doomed. It was dying will be gone in the UK soon, old, tired and done for. It's a belief that at its centre, the gospel will find no place in our country again. It won't shape our nation again in the way it has done previously. But this is one I truly don't believe. Because time and time again through the Bible, even then when there are only one or two of God's people remaining faithful in Scripture, Well, God's kingdom had been completely decimated by the enemy. God was planting mustard seeds of his kingdom that caused revival and growth and caused it to burst forth in life once more. Jesus wants to draw our eyes and our hearts to this fact that we can be assured that already there are mustard seeds planted that will grow and huge impact in our country and beyond. It's so important that we don't look at the ebbs and flows of our time as much as we look at the promise of God. That is this, his small in his kingdom will grow big. There are mustard seeds planted all over the place. And you never know how many of these mustard seeds he has planted through you.
these are the four pictures. So in conclusion, what are the essentials that he wants us to understand about how his non-military invasion will grow? What are the things that we need to hold constantly in our minds and our hearts? Well, firstly, it's all about the heart. Kingdom growth is all about the heart. Secondly, it's all about using what he has given you. Thirdly, it's ultimately his responsibility for growth. He takes responsibility for it. He will make it happen. And fourthly, it's about planting the small wherever we have the opportunity, which will grow big and full of life. Do you know, if you put these pictures of what Jesus is saying together here, what we really need to know about God's kingdom and the way it grows looks like this. The kingdom grows and advances when Jesus and his people communicate God's living word openly. When this living word lands in determined hearted people who grow roots in him. When this people with determined hearts are prepared to use and step out in their gifts, whatever he has given them, whether that be a small thing or a big thing, to support his church and the re-sowing of his word. But whom don't shoulder all the burdens themselves for this growth, but trust constantly in God's Holy Spirit to build his kingdom. And learn to love passionately the small things because they understand that he will grow the small into the world changing massive. The flip side of this, and these four pictures are full of huge warnings, that if the kingdom is not growing, it's probably because one of the following blockages has gotten into your life. That God's living word has gone out, that your heart has grown hard, distracted or has become superficial. That you have stopped being prepared to act and step out and use your gifts to follow the Spirit's scary lead at time. And don't trust anymore in using your gifts or giving up your time to use your gifts in Him. That you have maybe placed the world on your shoulders and have found that you're unable to carry the world. And stop trusting that in all circumstances, God is the one who will ultimately grow his kingdom from that tiny mustard seed to a world changing impact. Or maybe you just begrudge the fact that it only seems like mustard seeds you've planted in your life. That you've never seen that huge reaping of a harvest. That seems to happen to other people. So your heart has got downcast. Well, God says no. No, cherish the mustard seed because it grows into the mustard tree, which impacts all other things. And you don't know your impact. Do you know, if you have and you do identify more with these blockages, actually, than this wonderful kingdom life right now, Jesus doesn't give us the word to condemn us. That's not why he brings challenges, not to say, look, people, you're, you're not good enough. That's not why he taught this to his disciples. He taught it to them because he wanted them to know the way that they could get involved in the great adventure of kingdom growth. That they would know the clear, clearly the pathway and would avoid the pitfalls. Now there's deep grace for you this morning because we live under the covering of Jesus' perfect life. 
There's not condemnation. There is revelation and there is the spirit's life to come and change you, to come and unstick those blockages, to come and bring you on that great adventure with him. Jesus wants you to be kingdom growers, kingdom sowers. He wants you to be people who use their gift and find out that he is mightily faithful to grow you into all situations, that there's no ocean too big that he can't grow you into. He wants you to stop being distracted by the shiny things and see the curl of great price that is him and devote your life once more to it. To dive on into his word, to learn what it is to follow the spirit fully and grow that deep determined heart. That's why he laid this out before us. This is not a military kingdom. It's a kingdom of hearts, of lives, of the word and of the spirit. Come on this adventure with me. Come on this adventure with me. Let me just finish here by praying. It's a bit weird because I'm not actually preaching this this morning. I'm sat in my house. But if you're if you're listening, um, let me just pray for you if you've been stirred by anything. Father God, thank you so much that your word comes to challenge and bring uh, life this morning, Lord God, or wherever we are right now. And it's not to condemn, but it's to cause us to step into that great adventure of seeing your kingdom grow. Thank you. There's so many promises there that your kingdom will grow from the small into the large, both in our hearts to overcome and into the world, just as your ministry grew from that stable to, to shape whole political cultures and nations, Lord Jesus. Father God, thank you that you did it then and you do it now, Lord Jesus. And Spirit, I want to pray, if there's anything in our hearts that needs to change this morning, Would you change it by the power of your spirit, Lord God, and cause us to step once more into the adventure of being part of your kingdom growth as you have determined it will happen. In Jesus name I pray. Amen.